2: Bitches on Comics, the podcast by Bitches for Bitches, and I'm your host Essie Fleenor, and I'm Sarah Century. We have a question here from Jason: Do different comics have color palettes? Like, is there a Wolverine yellow, and who gets to decide? Steven Universe colors are clearly not the Marvel colors, so how do they decide who gets to do what? So,
3: there is a long history of the printing press, <laughs> in which things wait, have... Wait.
2: like so Gutenberg, you're taking us back
3: <laughs> to Gutenberg to I'm, explain color? <laughs> I'm going to try really hard not to. I think that there might not have been too much color in those days, so I guess... Uh, Basically, where we get comic book coloring, this is something that didn't start specific to comics. It started in 1923. It was the four-color printing press. So a lot C-M-Y-K. of CMYK.
2: Yes. Ha ha! Yes. I googled it so we could have <laughs> this conversation. And it's cyan, magenta, yellow, and then the K is black, right? Those are the four main colors? That's right, yes. So four-color printing, with the the four colors that you
3: just listed... More or less what we did whenever we first come out with comics. This is me, the crew that we were all working with. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) What we did collectively, myself included, (laughs) whenever we invented color in comics was, (laughs) you know, you stick to those four colors. They did the brushes, ink. That's the ideal and supposedly out of this you are able to get something like sixty plus color combination. Sixty
2: four is what I read.
3: Yeah. yeah, but that's not true because mm-hmm. the printing press of those days were highly inconsistent. So if you try to make something that's anything from dark blue to purple to black, all of that looks exactly the same.
2: And part of that's too right, because it's this isn't the right word but pixelated. It's the dots, right? And part of the right. reason you get colors is the space between the dots. <laughs> of course they are.
3: Whenever they do the if you've read old, old comics, you see how the plate is just a little bit off.
2: That's my favorite thing. They look haunted. Yeah, it looks really good. Everything's just a little bit off to the side. So So if you all aren't familiar with that, a lot of the comics, I'm thinking of the ones from the 70s, you have the inked outline of the character, and then their coloring is not even a millimeter off, Mm -hmm. but it's just off enough to look like they're kind of streaking across the page. Standing behind themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gets like a creepy aura. It's actually really fun. It's one of my favorite things about old comics.
3: Yeah, I think so. Too. I really enjoy reading that stuff. But at the same time, with this kind of rudimentary process, they had to rely on extremely bright colors. So you were wanting to say something about the Hulk story.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this is the Stanley version. R.I.P. love (laughs) Stanley. As far as I know, there's nothing bad about Stanley. If you know something bad, just don't tell me. Or do, I don't know. Essentially, what happened is he wanted to create this character that was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And so he wanted the Hulk to be very creepy. So the Hulk was actually gray. But the problem was the press couldn't actually render that color. So he made him green. And so now this distinctive color that we think of as the color of Hulk's rage is really about what the printing at the time could actively make stand up off a page.
3: Mm -hmm. And then, of course, later, once they kind of perfected that a little bit, you do have a gray Hulk. (laughs) There's a
2: gray Hulk all through the 80s and 90s. And you were saying that Iron Man was super gray before, almost Mm -hmm. like the color of... Iron, which, you know, listeners, if you put those pieces together, you get a cookie. Not from me. You have to make your own cookies or buy them. I don't care. But, but you deserve them. Uh, you deserve a cookie because that's pretty amazing. And I even thinking about Batman's old colors, you know, there was so much gray on the page. I was reading something that was talking about is interesting cuz it doesn't seem to apply so I'm curious what you think of this. Someone was postulating that part of what happened was the comic book characters, the heroes, got really bright costumes to mm-hmm. help them jump off the page and that the villains got more grays, blacks, browns, earthy, natural tones to differentiate the goodness of them. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's accurate? Oh uh, yeah, I think that that's probably a subliminal thing even if it wasn't mm-hmm.
3: intentional. So the visual style of comics essentially, I think, was just so dictated by that need for having those bright colors. Totally, totally. That obviously if you have two people in bright yellow fighting each other, then that just
2: is off-putting, I guess, in a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Again, I was reading something someone else wrote about colors, and I was thinking about how so often the older comics, it's hard to figure out what the focus of a frame is sometimes because Mm -hmm. of the way the coloring is done. Right, yeah, definitely. I I was reading about Geordie Belair, Mm -hmm. and I was reading about how Geordie likes to give her characters different colored blood. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at her panels, and I was like, oh my god, this contrast is so nice. You know, we've got this orange character in Journey to Mystery who bleeds blue, Mm -hmm. and, you know, Sif is covered head to toe in blood that is blue. Mm -hmm. And it makes a really interesting contrast because, you know, Sif wears a lot of red that wouldn't come across the same way necessarily. So it's interesting how comics have transitioned over time in the way the colors are playing out and... All that jazz. Well, now it's also very
3: different. So now almost all coloring is done digitally. Right. There's definitely a lot of painters still working in comics, but just not as many because it's such a time consuming task. Comics don't pay enough <laughs> for people <laughs> to do things for that long. Yeah. So there's a lot less of that.
2: Sure. That makes sense. Every
3: now and again, you see a painted comic come through, but digital artists are painting too. I don't want to make it seem <laughs> like
2: that's not the case. Oh, there's no valorization. Of yeah. That, right. Yeah. Those are just different means. Yeah. Yeah. We're not those people who are like, well, oh, we miss the good old days when people were painting things with their hands. You know, <laughs> it's like whatever. It's it comics. looks good They're either different. way. Yeah.
3: Totally. And also, just doing things digitally. You know, now we have that really nice quality paper and things like that. Comics used to be printed on the cheapest possible newsprint they looked great then and they look great now you know it's different kind of great but also there was kind of just this interesting emphasis too for the people who were doing colors so for a long time we also had a lot of women that were working as colorists that didn't get hired you know they go to marvel (laughs) and ask for a job and They don't get hired for anything that any of their contemporaries that went to the same art school got hired for, but they do get hired to do the colors, which a lot of superstar male artists would have not done, right? They didn't have the time (laughs) or whatever. So you have a lot of women who really started to shine in that field, and that continues to this day. As you mentioned, Jordi Belair, but I wanted to also say Marie Severin. We have Glynis Oliver, who did great, great work. She did a lot of the X-Men Tatiana Wood, who did Mm. almost all of the DC covers forever, for years. Those colors are so good. We were talking about Saga of the Swamp Thing pretty recently, and she's the colorist of Saga of the Swamp Thing.
2: I think with colors, the thing, maybe if you're not aware that it's a different function, like there's a different person who does colors than does inks, than does writing, usually. Some people are amazing and do them all, which like, fine. Mm -hmm. Be the most talented in the world, fine. (laughs) is that you really can convey mood. I don't know the the other things other than like tone mm-hmm. in writing can do that. And we were talking, you know, Saga of the Swamp thing, I think you get that earthy that mood of like creepy earthiness mm-hmm. which I I think is not at least not what I think of when I think of creepy, so it, it takes a certain balance. We you know, we were talking about the Saladin Ahmed piece Abbott, that graphic novel, and how it evokes the 70s through its coloring, but doesn't replicate what comics were doing in the 70s. So it's really interesting how important coloring is really to how we feel when we read something.
3: Absolutely. And that's interesting, too, because there's the example that we have, you know, is there a wolverine yellow? There is certainly an X-Men yellow. Yes, yes. (laughs) There is a yellow that we really only see in the X-Men. And then there is, for Steven Universe, it's more important for the theme of Steven Universe for this to be a non-confrontational, kind of more pastel-oriented, even the red of Steven Universe's shirt is a little bit on the muted side that's super important for the tone of steven universe so yeah definitely that <laughs> yeah. plays a huge role in uh, colorists are probably one of the most underrated parts of the comic team we're not trying to get on any colorist good side
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not like pitching any of you to love us but however if, if you, you want to send us
3: flowers we take them
2: Whatever, do whatever you want. Hang out. Send us panels that you like with beautiful colors. We
3: would love to see that. We would because love that. Because there are just so many examples. And I also do want to say one of the downsides of Marvel Unlimited having these new recolorizations is, is that we are losing a lot of the work that women did in comics in the That's 60s and one. 70s. So we have like Marie Severin for the longest time she was doing all the colors it's whenever before she passed away she had the chance to be the person who recolored her old EC comics so wow. those comics look
2: beautiful and they're done by the artist who they're did the original, done by the person who originally really did
3: it now the colorist often their credits are kind of taken out We don't see as much because it's basically just people doing uh, flats over these comics because that does work and visually it does look good. It's very appealing. And I understand to some extent because it would be really hard. You know, we see scans of comics from like the 70s and they look pretty terrible, but it also sucks because we are losing a lot of the women history of that time period. So that's pretty much all I have to say. Do you have anything else?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the only other thing I would say is, like, some of that is going to be dictated by the publisher. So, like, Marvel's going to say, here are some of the colors that we want used. Traditionally, her character, Wolverine's costume's not going to change that much without a big conversation. It was a big deal when Captain Marvel's costume, when she went from Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel, that was a huge shift. And they had to really think about what they wanted her costume to look like. She went from a more silver and black look to a much more, it's it's blue, red, and yellow, I think. And that is just a big shift. And a lot of people thought that was Kelly Pseudoconic redesigning. And she was very clear, like, no, the the character was redesigned before I came on. The name change was decided before I came on. Mm -hmm. I'm just the person who delivered it and made it gel, I would say. Mm -hmm. And and maybe she wouldn't even say that. I mean, well, you're going to talk to her. You tell me how she is. (laughs) I just have impressions from reading her interviews. But I think that that is important to remember. It's not like... Every person who's coloring the Steven Universe comics doesn't, is just coming up with a different palette. Mm -hmm. Whereas there's a lot of variation in the illustration styles. Yeah. You'll see a lot more consistency in my experience of the Steven Universe comics across comics. Yeah. And again, like you were saying, there's an X-Men yellow. That yellow is going to keep appearing in X-Men. Forever. It's part (laughs) of that like character Bible Mm -hmm. that you get when you take over writing about a different character. Definitely. Thanks, Jason. from ashley are there any upcoming projects or articles y'all are working on that we should read so sarah i think you should definitely talk about the volatile anesthetic
3: yeah so i do a web comic with my friend tana and it is called the volatile anesthetic you can subscribe to it on patreon we also have a website for it it's kind of a superhero story that's more or less about these characters who keep forgetting what situation they're going into so they meet the same villains again and again and they forget about them because as you see in superhero comics, there's always that continuity inconsistency. So what if that were the plot, right? <laughs> like what if that were the hero villain dichotomy is you have somebody who's just able to make you forget again and again and again. And you don't know, you know, you don't know the continuity anymore. That's kind of what the commentary is about. So basically I've been working on that. And you do
2: the inks and you write the story, right?
3: Yeah, I write and then I did all of the character design and all of that. And then I do the outlines and okay. then Tana does the water color so okay. it's completely hand watercolored. her art it's is so beautiful gorgeous
2: <laughs> I went back to the beginning I was just like rereading it again from the beginning and oh the space yeah like her colors in space it's like okay this is what space would actually look like
3: yeah you know, I, I beautiful. told her hey I'm gonna need you to paint a glass castle in space any thought like, all right I'm on it It took maybe like, yeah, a week of us kind of throwing it around. And then, yeah, she just ended up doing this beautiful green, blue, red, yellow, just all of the colors bleeding into each other. She's really incredible. So, you know, forget me, but Tana's work is absolutely worth checking it out. Don't forget, Sarah. It's awesome. If you do, do. it's going to be hard for you to read my comic.
2: (laughs) Also, I thought I saw this in your work that your style is really influenced by the Hernandezes. Do you think that's true?
3: Oh, yeah. It's the Hernandezes and probably Kirby are the strongest influences. That kind of line work, I guess, and the reliance on bright colors. I definitely lean a lot on Tana with these. That was intentional. I do it a little bit differently for this because I'm working on a team and you kind of adjust yourself a little bit. We had to, our process of trying to figure out the pages was bonkers because nobody does watercolor comics, so there's no guide. For that. <laughs> You're like, we'll just make it up. We're going to have to, basically just the longest trial and error. It took us probably six months to get this down before we actually got it down, right? Yeah. And now we've got it down. Now we've got a good system. So that one's going to be going for a little while. We don't have a specific end date. We're on probably page 23 or 24 right now. And then it'll probably end up going for a few hundred pages. So that'll be fun. And it's kind of something to invest in just like low key. You and know? It comes out
2: like one page a week. Is that One right? page
3: a week. Yeah, we were doing Wednesdays. But now that we're doing Bitches on Comics on Wednesdays, we're thinking about moving it to Friday. But be that as a gay. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say that it always gets a laugh it's, it's such so funny it's such a pandering move I like, love it
2: <laughs> do it every time every fucking episode let's do it. oh well be, be that, that as, as it gay,
3: gay. <laughs> that should have been the name of the podcast oh my God.
2: that's our other podcast
3: about graphic gay sex <laughs> be that as it gay. be that as it gay graphic sex <laughs> 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 oh, anyway I that's basically it. what I'm working on I've done There's a short story of mine that's appearing in a tribute to David Cronenberg's works called The New Flesh. It's just an anthology with a lot of other creators. That one's going to be really good. I think it's coming out in January or something. And yours is a horror piece, right? Yeah, that's... I mean, they're all horror pieces, yeah. Cronenberg did, like, The Fly and...
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I knew Cronenberg's name and I was like, I know, like, what that stands for. I just thought that it would be all horror. Yeah, it's like that gross horror. Yeah, yeah, body horror. It's like, like, turn inside out or, like, have eight arms and... Very cool. Very cool. I'm really excited to read that. Yeah. It's going to be
3: exciting. That is exciting. I just got the proof back on it. And I'm just blown away already by all of the people who are involved. So the New Flesh anthology coming out sometime soon. It's through Weird Punk Books. I
1: love it. Yeah.
3: And I'm sure I have. I mean, I'm always working on like 700 things. So God knows (laughs) how this is going to change. We'll answer this question again
2: soon. Yes, we will. All right. What about you? So I'm doing... A lot of editing. I'm an editor as well, so I'm editing a couple different manuscripts. I edited a memoir of a trans man who talked about his experience transitioning and about how he always sort of felt out of place in his gender and as like what that meant being a lesbian. And then how does that now translate and like how does he come across as a straight person and like how weird that is. A very dear friend of mine. It's called Chemically Enhanced Butch. It's gonna be amazing. And then I'm editing a novel for a client, a couple, actually I've got three novels I'm working on right now. So I really love editing work. It's fun. It's, I was telling Sarah, (laughs) it's like the opposite of writing where writing is just constant problem solving and decision making. Editing is like, I found your problem. (laughs) I'll help you fix it, but it's really yours to fix. I don't have to fix it, so that really uses a different skill set, and I find that really nice. I've been trying to get back to some of my creative, straight up creative work. I think we've both been doing a bit of that. So I've got a couple short stories I'm working on, and I think I'm going to finish one this month, and I think I'll be able to finish the other next month. So the first one's about a demigod who has to protect his village against violent interlopers who have contracted a mystical illness. So it's like an epic fantasy setting. It's hyper queer. I kind of, I think for a while there, felt guilty writing queer stuff and knew that there isn't always an audience. Not, that's not the right way of putting that. There's not always a lot of faith in publishing Mm -hmm. that there is an audience. Right. And then I realized I just don't care at all if someone's going to publish it or not, because this story matters to me and it means it's going to matter to other queer people and someone will publish it at some point. Maybe I'll get a penny for it, but, like, who even cares? Mm -hmm. I feel really good about that story. It's called The Porter. It's all about, there's sort of, like, two definitions of porter. One's, like, someone who carries your bags for you. Then the other one is someone who mans the gate in the medieval city. That's who this character is. And then the other short story is about an android who learns how to feel in a post-apocalyptic world and that's really fun and it's weird and random and i had to watch a bunch of android stuff for it so i'm really really excited for that i didn't have to i wanted to i am also writing for extra which is a queer publication i write a lot of stuff about queer relationships health and uh, pop culture because i'm always thinking about pop culture and i just wrote an article that just came out about queer eye and other tv programming that's based in queerness And then how fat shaming plays out in that. So you can catch my work there. And we both write for fangirls. Yes, for Sci-Fi Wires, Feminist Vertical, which is called Fangirls.
3: And I think I've done Star Trek, Bustle. I'm kind of all over the place. Oh, Comics MNT and Shelf Dust Site, which are both things that you should always subscribe to because they're doing independent deep dive comics criticism. They just got finished doing Women Watch the Watchmen which was just feminist and queer people talking about The Watchmen. And our review of it wasn't maybe that it was the greatest comic of all time, like you usually hear from every white straight guy ever. Yeah, yeah. think,
2: yeah, we've got some different commentary on that.
3: It was really nice, and I closed it out. I did uh, the 12th chapter. There were 11 other critics. They all did incredible work, but I was just beyond giddy to be able to be the person who had the final word, so.
2: yeah. That was a really cool that was a really,
3: really cool project. I really like that. <laughs> if you know me, <laughs> words. Such a thing in my life. But, but yeah, can that always, was great.
2: You can always follow anything that Sarah and I are doing at our websites. Sarah's is Sarah and mine is Essiefleenworth.com.
3: And we're both on Twitter, so oh, yeah. that's also a good way. We share a lot of links through that. If you don't have Twitter, you know. Sorry. It's all good. <laughs> don't worry about it, I guess. Yeah.
2: Read our books when they come out. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.
1: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Comic
3: of the Week Eleanor Davis, Why Art? This comic, it was put out by Fantagraphics, is that correct? Yeah. So Fantagraphics, really big indie publisher, put out tons of stuff, Eleven Rockets, All the Greats, 8-Ball, et cetera, et cetera. So why art just begins is this kind of meta commentary on art, making jokes about different kinds of art, blue like art, orange art, yeah, <laughs> blue and orange art elements, <laughs> just that kind of stuff. And the whole time, it turns out, it really is a commentary on art, right? Just in general, just this weird meta-commentary, artists looking at art from the outside of art, asking, why art? So the way that that ends up manifesting is you have the focus shift totally from these kind of short jokes and the different kinds of artists and all of that to being an actual narrative of these artists who try to put on art shows and one of their art shows goes catastrophically wrong. So it gets torn up. Everything is terrible, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And then they make an art version of themselves that's perfect.
2: The mini versions of themselves? Yeah.
3: And they're like, I made mine slightly smarter. Mm -hmm. The perfect version of them is the art that they make now. And there's all of this conversation around that, right? I feel like I'm going to start bawling my eyes out. It's, it's so, so touching. It's such a beautiful story. After that, Dolores ends up <laughs> deciding just to reach in and just start destroying things. Just crushes all of the stuff. Everybody's freaking out. These are our perfect versions of ourselves. How could you hurt it? And then it ends with that question, right? Where I'm not going to give the whole ending away, but I do want to say that basically the whole question just turns out to be, from the very beginning, why, why art? And it is so, so good. It just loops around the animation style. It's oh. all of the great things that you love about comics. It's Harold's back to Linda Barry's stuff. Yes. Love and Rockets, as we just said. There's just so much comic book influence in this whole book. Yeah. And so much art influence. Just so much commentary on what art even just
2: means. It's deceptively simple and yet it makes such a complex and meta argument and it makes its argument upon itself. And then there's sort of this moment where you realize you're exactly the same as like the artists who are reaching into the art. You're reaching into this art. And destroying your perfect self, right? (laughs) And having to live with this new
3: version of yourself that, you know, isn't perfect, that has had terrible things happen. You know, all of that. It's such a humanistic comic. They're just talking so much about what humanity is in our whole relationship to making art which could have gone in any direction and just went in this unbelievably profound way just made these kind of representations of she has shark teeth you know all of that just really strange kind of meta commentary
2: but it all means something and it's laugh out loud funny. Yeah. Several times I had to set it down and just laugh about something that she wrote. A joke that you're turning the page and like, okay, there's a rhythm here. I get it. I get it. And then the punchline so unexpected. Mm-hmm. And I just don't feel like that's super common. And it's such an incredible gift of Davis's.
3: Yeah. This, I mean, I've read other Davis works, and I think that just overall her stuff is incredible. Really one of the best. But Why Art was the one that completely solidifies it. She has to have been one of the greatest creators of 2018, probably. It just kind of blew everything out of the water, and there was so much good stuff in 2018. So, so yeah, much good stuff. Yeah, 2018 was a great year. A lot of comics that we'll talk about that also were, you know, mind-blowing and mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Why Art stands... At the very height of those, you know, alongside those, definitely. Oh, oh my
2: gosh. Like I I was actually, I read it because you chose it. And I was shocked that I hadn't read it. It's in the pack in terms of style of what I read. And it's, oh my gosh, an exemplar of how to do this work. What I found personally really profound about it was I saw like my own artworks and how I relate to them. Mine are primarily, you know, creative writing in nature, but how what I'm doing in some sense is making sense of my reality in this fake, tweaked, maybe sometimes easier, maybe sometimes harder version of reality. How can I make sense of my more muted, <laughs> less dramatic Hallelujah, life.
3: Yeah, it just, I think almost any person who has done art, probably a lot of people who just really like art, would really enjoy this. And maybe it's just kind of silly and you just kind of read it really fast, you know, whatever your tone is whenever you approach this story, I feel like it's short. It goes really quickly. It packs a lot into such a small space and such a small little package. It's a square <laughs> tiny
2: comic, which and is the gorgeous. Coloring is used so specifically. Mm-hmm. And so you get these sort of bright, literally and figuratively spots of pay attention to this Mm -hmm. what does this mean and i think that's pretty freaking cool this comic is just honestly a must own i think i couldn't agree more you should buy a hardcover yeah the hardcover is also really beautiful it's just i don't know it's one of the meditations on life that i think i found most profound really yeah it's great that's all i can say (laughs) i think i said it's great
3: 17 times
2: (laughs) because it's great We have a rating system. It's how many times does Sarah say something's great?
3: Because I can't even exaggerate with that. I'm just kind of, no. wow, I don't know what else to say. I mean, good God. That was just a masterwork.
2: Thanks for listening to Bitches on Comics, the podcast that is here to answer your comic book questions and our own. If you'd like to ask us a question, email us at bitches on comics at gmail.com b dot at gmail.com gmail does not like the word bitch so if you leave the i in we won't get your email so make sure you leave the i out there is no i in bitch
3: you can find out more about us and this podcast at bitchesoncomics.com. If you like what we do and want us to keep doing it, there are many ways you can show your support, including becoming patrons at patreon.com slash bitches on comics. Also, please feel free to rate and review us so that more people can find out about us. We appreciate your support. Sound is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire, who you can follow at churchfiremusic.com. Theme music is by Earth Control Pill, and you can follow her work at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find my work at sarahcentury.com.
2: Follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm Essie Fleenor, and you can find me at sefleenor.com. I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This is Bitches on Comics, and we're recording in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation and other sovereign nations who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization.